Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. If you haven't listened to slash watched my um, video slash podcast on um, either YouTube or wherever you get your podcast on Funimation buying Crunchyroll, I strongly encourage you to do that. I'm on my full-on anti-capitalist bullshit for that entire time and I'm very proud of myself for it, so, you know. And yeah, I'm still on video and I'm still drinking on mic, which is fine by me. Um, not alcoholically, that is a little, it's a little, little shiftier than I want to go, but you know. So today we are going to talk about a little show I like to call, <laughs> not that I like to call that, it's called, and we've talked about before actually, No Guns Life. Season 2. Now, if you aren't familiar with um, No Guns Life, it actually came out originally in 2019, finished up in 2020. I actually fell off of it because, well, don't get me wrong, I do love a cyberpunk, a good cyberpunk, like, full-on cyberpunk show. There are, I will straight up tell you, there are better cyberpunk things out there in the same vein that cover a way broader variety of stuff than No Guns Life does. The thing that's interesting about No Guns Life, to me as a viewer, as an individual viewer who, if you're watching this, I can finally prove it to you, I am a disabled person, which is really weird because on the video, that's reversed. It's my left hand, that's the bad hand that I just held up. It's the way that I think somebody posted on TikTok this, um, Barnes and Noble, uh, there's a Barnes and Noble somewhere where they set up a, admittedly, very sparse um, collection for Disability Pride Month, and they put Full, Full Metal Alchemist Volume 1 on the shelf. And just about anybody on Earth who has any knowledge of disability awareness or anything will say Full Metal Alchemist is full on a text about people with disabilities. It proven out by the fact that while I think that I think Ed gets his whole body back in the original 2004 version, but in the much more highly acclaimed and more accurate version, Ed only gets his arm back in exchange for his brother, basically. And what that what that means is that he lived life with a prosthetic leg. Granted, a much more advanced prosthetic leg than prosthetic leg we have in reality, but still a prosthetic leg. His leg is metal for the rest of his life. And he's lucky he married an automobile mechanic because, you know, mm. And I usually give a panel called um, Full Metal Alchemist and Beyond Disability Anime. and. Thank you, COVID, 
I haven't done it in about two years. And also, I'm going on a business trip for work for con season this year, so I won't be able to do it this year either. I'm not sure I would even, because I'm not super sure it's safe for the kind of people I do that panel for to show up to a big gathering of people right now. But the reason why I was initially so interested in um, in No Gun's Life is that it, it follows the main character named Juzo and her, um, her, and, and, his, and his mechanic, a girl named Mary, and eventually a, um, a, what's the, what's the kid's name? A, a pretty quickly, a character who is revealed to be a young man named, um, Tetsuro. And all of these characters are, with, with the exception notably of Mary, are basically disability stand-ins. And the first, the first part of the show is really, the first season is really about, has an A-plot, but what it's really doing is it's setting up the world and it's setting up the the world they live in. Because if you, I'm going to reference Full Metal Alchemist a lot in this. I'm also going to reference um, uh, Violet Evergarden. Um, but I'm, Full Metal Alchemist is going to be a real main touch point for talking about this show in terms of the way it, and I'm serious. I, in a way that a couple episodes back, I talked about Monster Musume being a very pro-disability text that was probably not intended to be. Um, no Gun's Life is much the same. But it's much the same in more the way that Full Metal is than um, Monster Musume is. And what I mean by that is, in Full Metal, and I talk about this actually in like the Full Metal Alchemist kind of section in my um, panel, but the reality of Full Metal Alchemist is just a mass of disabled people because they live in a like hyper-violent war state, basically. And there's a reason for that in the show itself. But in No Gun's Life, what you're kind of dumped into is you're dumped into the after a world that is the aftermath of a huge, basically corpo war. To use uh, to use cyberpunk terms about it, and they everyone just referred to it as the war, and it was huge and it was a big deal. And as part of that war, um, and by the way, spoilers for um, Full Metal Alchemist, Violet Evergarden, No Gun's Life, and Monster Moose May, if necessary. But um, the spoils of that war, the result of that war is that a lot of people were made to utilize what they call in this, what they call in. Um, Ghost in the Shell, prophetic bodies, what they call in um, 
what they call in of full mail alchemist um, auto mail, but they call it they call them extensions in this show's terminology. And extensions are basically you're required to get a you're required to get basically a RAM expansion of a what they call a subbrain, which is an extra little like computer hard drive with some per, like computer motherboard that's implanted at the base of your skull, right? Like you can feel the little where your jack would go in a go, say ghost in the shell is where um, the subbrain goes, and the subbrain is installed in people is surgically added to people so they can handle the cognitive load of using extensions and in some people's case jobs require that they get extensions in lots of people's cases it's required you get in a terrible accident and you get an extension stuff like that the reason why there are so many extended in um in No Gun's Life, and the reason why there are so many people with auto male um, limbs in Full Metal Alchemist is because that is the result of of like insane amount of war making. And I talked about this in um, actually, and I got I got complimented on the first time I ever did the panel because somebody came up to me and was like. You should you should do this convention too. You're better than anybody who's ever who have ever seen speak at this like military and comic comic convention. And what I say what I say in that what I say in that panel is you have to think about the consequences of why so many people need extensions or auto mail or prosthetic bodies. Why that's needed? Because if there are if if it's bled out from, you know, soldier. If it's bled out from soldiers and people who were born with disabilities or had an accident to like being super commonplace, it's there's something bad at the root there. But what I'm really here to talk about with um, specifically with season two of No Guns License, I. Fairly certain I did No Guns Life Season 1. You can go check that out in the um, podcast feed wherever you're listening to this right now. But the second part of No Guns Life becomes a lot about the responsibility that society has to disabled people and that disabled people that disabled people have to other disabled people in all kinds of different directions. And also, the people who maintain people with disabilities that require, um, and in this episode, as with most things in when I talk about disability, I'm talking about physically physical disabilities only, really, because um, mental disability is a really thorny subject, and it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's a road to hell line of good intention, is what I'll say. And what this show really becomes about is it becomes about 
um, Juzo's relationship with all the people around him. And the thing that makes Juzo unique is that he's what's called an overextended. And overextended are overextended are people of like past a threshold of man machineness, and they are mostly machine. If you think about um. If you think about uh, Major Motoko Kusanagi or um, Bato or uh, really most, if not most, ex- most with the exception of um, what's his name, Togusa, of the members of, um, with the exception of Togusa and um, Aramaki, actually, of the members of Section Nine in Ghost in the world of Ghost of the Shell are what they call full cyborgs, which means they don't have a flesh and blood part on them left. And it's literally like their personality and brainwaves implanted on a cyber brain, and that's it. That's pretty similar to what Juzo, to what Juzo's body is like. He is entirely robotic, for the most part. You, You don't see a part of him that isn't like repairable, replaceable, all this stuff, or anything like that. And, but what that means in the world of No Gun's Life is very different than what it means in the world of um, Ghost in the Shell. Although they do make a big point in the original Ghost in the Shell movie of like, listen, cyber, cyber bodies weigh about as much as a car. Not like, they're not like, a like, max 600 pounds like a human body can be, they're like a ton. <laughs> and actually in um, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex there's a great scene where Bato's like, hold on, I'll go check. And then he jumps off of one building, off of a building and lands on the ground and runs over to another building. And it's this great demonstration of like, oh, like they're not in, full cyborgs in Ghost in the Shell aren't immortal, but they are super durable, and they can take a hit and keep on coming, so to speak. That is true of the overextended in the world of um, No Guns Life. Now, the kind of second character, uh, the kind of third character. Um, who's really the most important, aside from, um, Juzo and Tetsuro, is a character named Mary. And there's a lot of, and this is, Mary's kind of the first, um, thing that you see, she's really one of the actually only characters in this who doesn't have some kind of extension, who doesn't have some kind of body modification. And one of the reasons probably is that she is a extension mechanic and a very talented extension mechanic. Um, but if you've ever, if you've ever watched the end of, um, there's a, I forget which ending it is for, um, I think it's the second ending for um, Full Malcolm's Brotherhood. It's this kind of clip show of Wenry apprenticing with uh with Dominic the automail maker who's like a amazing world-class automail maker in Rust Valley and you see her workshop and you see all these like 
parts everywhere. You see all these like schematics all over the wall, and you see her working. And one of the best things about that is it is a great representation of what a non-corporatized big business um, prosthetic maker work workers um, prosthetic makers workshop looks like. And what I mean by that is it's like it's in the prosthetic workshop. I've seen these things. I've I get my whenever I get my brace repair, the my my mechanic, the person who makes my prosthetic, takes it from me. Like goes into the workshop, you hear a whole bunch of banging and like buzzing. It comes out as like almost this new re-engineered thing. Also very clean. Um, but Mary is a is a rare. Mary is a rare thing in the way that actually pro individual prosthetic makers are rare things. She's extremely talented and she's extremely, but she's also extremely understanding. And she under, she, there's a great thing that I talked about on the um, Monster Musume um, episode, which is, I think it's like the last episode maybe before I started filming these, but I talked about the act of acceptance before you hit, um, before you try to understand. And the character of Mary is a great, um, is a great example of this. Because the big thing about Juzo is Juzo was, um, converted to, to an overextended in the military. And he doesn't have any memory of before he became an extended. And that's the one kind of pretty universal truth of um, all the extended. If, if you have a subbrain, generally speaking, you have, if not a full like loss of memory from before then, but like a partial, like there's a section of your memory that's just gone. And you can tell that this is fairly early in this world's um, lore in terms of extended because there's no bypass for that. There's no way around that. There's no getting past that. There's just a bunch of people who have subbrains because they have some kind of extension and they just don't remember a section of their lives. But for Juzo, what's unique is that he doesn't remember any of his life before the military. He remembers his military service, which they get into in the second season here in depth, but he doesn't remember anything before that. So he's like this weird cipher where you as a viewer point blank know you're not going to get any of the like standard issue, this is why Jews are like this kind of thing. And it, that's mainly because Juzo doesn't really know himself. Like, he has some weird eccentricities that he doesn't quite understand on his own terms yet. And especially when you do something like this to be in the army, 
you wake up in an entirely new body, which we'll get to the way he looks in a minute. There's going to be a level of understanding that's just not possible. Just not not possible because you don't totally understand. Like, yeah, you like read read the rules and you go for it, but it's not really it's not really it's not easy for someone to understand you if you don't understand you because you don't have the backlog of memories to be like, oh, this is what I picked up that weird tick or whatever. Because people do know that about themselves. And this also means that any other characters that you've met up until this point, or you will meet after that, who have some kind of extension, have that same, not the exact same, but a similar hole in their memory of like, I just don't remember the first three months, the, the last three months before I got my extensions installed. Just don't, don't remember. That's weird. Um, but Mary, because she spends so much of her time around the extended and specifically around Juzo, which in this season you get to why Juzo is there. It turns out her brother Victor is, um, hired him to keep her safe after the war because he was what um, they call in this show's universe a hand because Juzo is a gunslave unit. What that effectively means is he's, he has um, the rounds like six shooter loader um, cylinder on the back of his on the back of his palms on each of his hands and a little like gun knuckle on I think his right hand. But he's also got a gun for a head. Like a full-on revolver for his head. And what this means in this show is he also has an accompanying barcode, I think, on his other hand that says that basically any authority figure can scan and it'll tell them, like, the military did this to me. <laughs> I'm allowed to exist. Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> and that's really... Exactly, this show starts to get really messy and interesting. What that show means is, what that says is that there were people who were, you know, created by the military, and they're just not allowed to exist. They're like not, they're not by default allowed to be out in public because they're too scary or they're too dangerous, or in Judo's case, because he he has a gun for a head. You cannot disarm him. He can murder you just because he's standing there. And, but what this also brings up is, by and large, the extended are, they either get something for work or something for necessity, like they can't walk so they need new legs, so they get an extension that's a, um, prosthetic leg. There's a character in this, um, I believe uh, Gosling Scarlet is the is this side character who's like clearly romantically interested in Juzo and but she is um she also she has a prosthetic leg that's an extension. And what that means is that the totally different separation of just 
the way of the way people are perceived. For example, I am pretty lucky in terms of my disability because I don't have a I don't have a I have a disability that can be hidden, that is hideable to everybody to everybody who would want to see it. But somebody who is maybe stuck in a wheelchair can't hide it. And however, like walking, I'm not always, it's the middle of summer right now. I'm not going to wear jack a puffy coat so I can put my hands in my pockets. I'm not that desperate. Also, I'm 32. I'm used to the constant eyes. But when I'm walking around, I'm an unusual looking dude because I have an arm that just doesn't work. But to me, it's a normal thing. I've lived with it every day. But to everybody else, I mean, I still to this day, I, I catch people just staring, just being like, whoa. I, I used to say, ironically, I used to call it when I was a kid, the what did the army, what the fuck did the army do to this guy stare? And the sad truth of that is those kinds of stares and that kind of noticeability makes you stand out in a way where you wouldn't if you were just a normal person. And this is true for any disabled person. I, that kind of standing out, that kind of calling out of you, uh, that kind of you being perceived in that way constantly, A, is awfully, awfully fucking tiring. B, it's... People fear what they don't understand. And this is why I was talking about Mary and Mary just accepting people with extensions as existing and just like moving on with her day constantly. For Jews though, it's a little different. So in both Ma in Monta Musume in A Silent Voice, by the way, Silent Voice is another thing I'm gonna, I might bring up. Um, so spoiler alert for that. And um, Josie the Tiger and the Fish, all, all things I've talked about before, and actually Violet Evergarden, a key plot point in those shows is that the disabled person is a woman. They, in um, Full Metal Alchemist, it's pervasive enough where it's not perceived as being a... Like, a bit, like auto, people with auto mail are noticeable, but it's not as... It's so pervasive that, like, there's one person... There's at least one to two people in every village that has an auto mail something. Um, in... In this show, it's interesting that they chose to focus on an older man who has the equivalent of a disability that is not like a very visually appealing to most people disability and does inspire fear in people. And what I mean by that is the dude's got a gun for a head. He's got like gun knuckles and shit. You, there's no way you can get around that and he startles people because especially since everybody knows about the war and everybody understands that there were like people were overextended into these monsters to fight the war and now 
and they were supposed to be like not publicly viewable. The only other, um, the only other there of the only other character who has a similar kind of extension is a character named um, Tokusada Mega Arm, and he is a supporting character and like a plot point of like plot point character for a bunch of episodes in the first season and he took his like war profiteering money because you get you get paid some money after you get out of the war if you like take enough extensions and he basically had his head replaced with like a gold buddha face and with that and being seen as a war hero he still had the gun knuckles, but he's not... A, he wasn't a gunslave unit like Juzo was, but he does have that same kind of threatening weaponization of his body, but because he's, like, adapted himself to look a certain way because he can, it's pre- it made pretty clear that Juzo can't do that, he can kind of walk around in public and be fine. He's also a super celebrity, so that makes sense. Um, but Juzo, like around his neighborhood, in his like close circle of like friends and associates and stuff, people just look at him and be like, "Oh, hey, hey, Juzo, whatever, <laughs> whatever." Um, but to other people, he's threatening. He's threatening. He's surprising, and he's scary. I, and I can't tell, if you're watching the video and you saw my arm, my arm is not threatening to people, but it's a thing that people can perceive, can and do perceive as threatening. For whatever reason, mostly because they don't understand it. And then you get to a character like, um, I think it's Takaru. Um... And Takeru, oh, Tetsuro. Tetsuro, his extensions are largely par for the course, except he was tortured by Spitzbergen, the, like, big, like, war extension maker. And, um, he has a experimental extension that allows him to, like, scream at people and control their robotic bodies kind of thing. But the thing is that he's pretty normal looking and he's also pretty ultimately in this show fired up fired up and misguided about making life better for people with extensions essentially making life better for disabled people but the thing about Juzo is the way he carries himself is a lot like you have to carry yourself when you're some kind of minority it it's pretty similar to being a person of color, actually. Or being a person with disability, in a more direct case. You always know that you are a minority, you will always be a minority in the room, possibly a minority in the building, especially as a disabled person. And you always know that people are gonna look at you, you're gonna get certain questions constantly, and it's just going to be annoying. 
but also with age as a person with a disability you gain insights to things that younger people that young people with disabilities coming up under you don't know they just don't they don't know how to handle like oh this that or the other thing that happens specifically because you're disabled like for example when 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 people break their arms specifically when you break your arm there's a set of questions that, like i couldn't tell. the big one usually is how do i put deodorant on with a broken arm i know the answer because i've lived with one working arm and hand for my entire life i know how to do it but you don't because you don't know how to you don't know how to like use your body in that way but eventually the the other way you learn that stuff is the same way most guys learn how to shave most guys learn how to tie a tie because they look it up online and they copy it enough times but most guys learn how to shave learn how to shave because their dad brother or some other older male figure who needed to shave who already needed to shave taught them how to shave and that's a very specific uh, there's a very specific rite of passage for men it just in the world i mean i my older brother my older brother jeremy taught me how to shave my mom like my, my surrogate older brother i should say my mom like was like hey jeremy <laughs> i know i was like 12 but he's got a he's growing a beard Please teach him how to shave, and he was like, "Okay, you might want to teach you how to shave." So, um, come here, <laughs> cool. And it's a it's a weird, it's a slightly odd bonding experience, specifically for men, that kind of thing too. But in disabled communities, you you may not have necessarily an immediate person who knows the answers to like how do I what do you do about your shoes? I've been like, and the answers are, if you only have one hand, the answers are elastic laces, slip on shoes every time. Um, but the, so that's where the first, that's where the first vector of responsibility comes in really for Juzo. Juzo is looking at this kid in Tetsuro and he knows Tetsuro is is new to this he knows that Tetsuro and Tetsuro knows that Tetsuro woke up with no li with no limbs and a weird ass like voice box situation and he doesn't know what he doesn't know the ins and outs of stuff. He doesn't know that, like, hey, um, no, don't tell anybody what that extension is. It's not super common. May not even be legal. There are some laws around that. We'll get you some special ID cards. It's fine. But the other thing they doesn't know is. So I, w I went to high school with somebody who. 
always had health problems and we lost touch. And I bumped into her at a thing and she was very happy to see me. And I didn't even perceive this because I wasn't paying attention. And, but she was sitting down the entire time. So I, we swapped numbers and she's like, we should totally go hang out. And we hung out. And a friend of hers drove, drove up and dropped her off. And she was in an electrified wheelchair. And it didn't occur to me like, oh, the reason why she didn't get out of her chair is because she couldn't. She was only temporarily disabled, but she was disabled for long enough. She, I think she was disabled for a couple of years. Disabled for long enough that, like, that, the act of seeing somebody who she recognized of, like, oh, he knows what he's fucking doing. He understands, like, Alex understands how to be a disabled person out in the world. Like, that. Getting an ice cream cone with him is less about hanging out and more just putting, pressing pause on the like rampant aloneness of being a disabled person in the world by myself. Because largely, I would imagine that's what that was. She was pretty, um, singled out by not being able to walk, not being able to walk around. And eventually her legs did, she did go through therapy and learn to walk again. But the thing that most people, once they, who know me, once they break, a, once they break specifically their arm or they spend a period of time where they really are out of commission in some way, realize is, like, I'm, it takes a supreme amount of confidence for me to step out, step out into the world all the time, in a way where it's not even really conscious of me at this point, because there's a phrase that people of color use that's like, you know, well, I got arrested because I was driving while black, I got, I got, you know, harassed by the cops because I was walking while black. The same thing applies to disabled people. We go through the world with this extra, with an extra piece of perception that people see us as. And in the rare moments when people don't see that, it they still notice that something's odd. So I'll give you an example I might have given on this podcast before. When I was in, um, when I was going to a bar by myself, notably, and I had my hand in my pocket. A, it was cold out. B, I only took one hand out of my pocket to show my ID, and the bouncer was like, hey, what, take your other hand out of your pocket. You look like you're packing heat. I'm like, I would love to. I, I would love to tell you that that was possible. And I took my left hand out. I like held my pocket, pulled my left hand out of my pocket, and just like all of the color drained from his face because he was uh, he had committed the sin of like, oh no, this guy was just trying to have a drink tonight, and I like I'm the asshole now. And 
disabled people don't walk around. Disabled people can't have the walls up constantly. And it, it, we do on some level in the same way that people of color do. And I really do because I am a disabled person of color. Um, but that kind of stuff can exhaust you in such... Picking every fight that's possible and being an idiot about it can exhaust you on such a level that, like, there's nothing, there's nothing left of you by the end. And it, you need to be able to tell, you know, the people who come after you, like, hey, this ain't worth it. This ain't worth it. I've gone down this road. It's not worth what you're putting out there. And you also need to be able to tell the people who are coming up under you, like, no, you're right, that's screwed up. Go go crack some skulls, kid. And there's a great scene in this where Juzo is like, oh, you thought you were going to just, like, waltz through the world and and um and bring justice to the world without putting anything on the line that's not really how that works dude try again and it's and judo constantly serves as this a authority figure b mentor figure for tetro and tetro serves as like a light of hope for Juzo. One of the things that I decided really earnestly and honestly when I was a young kid was I, when I was a young kid I was in spe specifically in special ed in public school, I came to the realization that I was really different from a lot of the physically disabled kids who I encountered. Even in a um, environment like um, the uh, cancer camp that I went to, that was like a week-long thing in this every summer, it still goes actually. Um, but I'm even kind of different there because yeah, there are kids who aren't disabled, but there the world tends to. handicap handicapped people in a real way and expect less of them and forgive a lot more for example if you have a prosthetic leg if you have if you let's say you have prosthetic legs and you worked in a law firm in New York City no one would bat an eye if you wore new balance sneakers every day to the office They'd be like, oh, no. By the grace of God, go you. We have no right to comment on footwear for somebody who has two prosthetic legs. But I'll tell you one of the things that I have my mechanics do is I basically say, no, I won't let you make this any foot shape you want. It has to fit into a dress shoe. Because me proving that I can still do that with a leg brace and with a disability, it like 
forces people to acknowledge, like, oh, that's not that's not a thing I would ever think to do if I was disabled. I, he he is playing on a whole different la level of the chessboard that I even have access to. And Juzo really he feels like that. His um his the joke the joke is he's Juzo is a revolver, which means that he's a dude with a revolver for a head. And his job is basically to be a like um noir detective slash um dispute um dispute referee between extended in the world. So basically what he goes out and he does is he um negotiates between people with big robot bodies and big robot parts. Essentially, disabled. He is a disabled person who comes into disabled beefs with each other and smoothes it all out and like helps people with the helps people with their problems. And so he has kind of taken whatever life he had after the military. He said, "No, I want to help people, and moreover, I want to. I don't want to help like you know." normal super rich assholes i want to help people like me people who need the help people who like lose control of their extensions people who have new extensions they don't know what they're doing he basically becomes a guidance counselor for like the newly disabled or the disabled people having a hard time so he but the other thing is is that he doesn't and this is very true of people who are not just a little different, but like different in a way where you could use the word unique. I know this because I am one. And if you're like, bullshit, Alec. Um, when I was first diagnosed with uh, brain cancer when I was an infant, I was entered into a study that was supposed to be a 15 year long study of children with cancer. And then when I was 15, it was time to do the questionnaire of the study and like, so like get, go through the battery test. And I was expecting like, oh, I'm going to see a couple of the kids who were in the study, blah, 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 blah. No. I was the only one left alive. And that makes me relate to you, though, in one other way that we'll probably end the show on. But what the reason why I tell you this is because there are, A, there's very few of these kinds of things where, like, although probably more than you expect, where, like, I'm literally one in 100 chance kind of thing. And... B, that kind of uniqueness, that kind of like one in 100, you are one, you're one out of the 100 children can't, cancer patients that we entered into this study who's left alive at the end of the study is a huge deal. And it, it further separates you from the people around you 
I just got finished watching um, the the four Ava movies, and the stunning thing about those movies is, a like Anno got to make the thing he really wanted to make, not when he made End of Ava because fans were dick were dick bags to him, and that show is so much about the struggle to get close to people, and that's just for normal people. Imagine if you really had something that separated you. Imagine if, in addition to, like, all the knots you feel inside when you, like, think about going on a date, you also had to pause and for a moment think, but what will they think of my arm? Like, what, like, are they going to ask questions about the giant scar? What feel like? What's that clicking? Oh, that's my leg brace. And that's stuff that you wish you didn't have to think about, but because you, when you were sixteen, a girl said to you like, "Oh, don't touch me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid whatever you have will get on me." Over a decade ago. It's a thing that happened to you in your life, and now you know that those assholes are out there, and that's a possibility. Because you are one in a hundred survivors for a cancer study, you are lucky enough to live out the reality of, like, oh, there are assholes who are real assholes. And that's on top, of, that's already on top of, like, being the black kid and largely white super affluent school district and that builds a kind of person who wants to help people and wants to help people live better than they did but doesn't always have regard for themselves so what I want to end this is I want to end this on the like big reveal of Juzo's past and that is that he was a um, central he was a gunslave unit and all of the other gunslave units that were in that are in the war on um, the side of Boruren, the mega corporation that um, Juzo and many other people, many other overextended fought for were eliminated by Juzo and it was a really harrowing experience of Juzo waking up, A, with no memories, B, already enlisted in the military, and C, like, they absolutely pounced on that. And, like, turned him into, like, a mindless soldier, almost. But as soon as he had a personal conversation with the other gunslave units... He had this moment where he did follow through with it. He did wipe them off the face of the map. But he also... After, immediately after he did that, he realized... I... I wiped out every other person like me. It would have been like if I killed the other, hundred, the other 99 participants in that study myself at once. And A, that's a thing that should have never happened 
that's a major abuse of authority and power, militarily, I'm sure, and just as humans to like be like, oh hey, see all these other pe- see all these other people who are who are the same as you, go murder them for your freedom. Because the bottom line is, if Juzo had said no, they would have gone to one of the other ones. There were obviously other ones, and they could have gone to one of those and just dealt with it. And Juzo would be in the ground too. I, the cyberpunk trappings of No Gun's Life allow it to have this conversation about the abuse and use and pitting against each other of all kinds of minorities, but specifically people with disabilities and people with disabilities who can be weaponized in a way that most people, thank God, don't think about in real serious ways in reality. So, like, um, I think it was a Quentin Tarantino double feature thing called, like, Grindhouse or something. And there's a character who's an amputee with a machine gun leg. That's the kind of weapon weaponizing of disabled people I'm talking about. Or the um, assistant slash sot like slash mini boss character from the first Kingsman, the girl with the um, Blade Runner legs that have actual swords in them. And Those are both, those, both of those characters in each of those properties are a, once again, I must point out, women. And I, I explained this to um, somebody who asked me who was really fascinated by the fact that I noted that many of the stories about people with disabilities that would they want you to sympathize with the person are about women because they feel they can get an audience to sympathize with a disabled woman easier than they could get them to sympathize with this disabled man. Because in the structure of our society, if a disabled woman can be, um, can be vulnerable, they can have a vulnerable moment. One of the best, and I'll um, talk about this, uh, this is probably where I'll leave it. One of the best parts of Full Metal Alchemist is when Ed's arm and leg get destroyed by Scar. And like half of Al gets destroyed by Scar too. And he, they have to go back to the mechanic and they spend this entire section of that show, a couple episodes, uh, of both the 2004 and the later 2010 version of Full Malachmith and Brotherhood, um, it's just kind of like zombie people who, they, they without, without their prosthetics or prosthetic body in Al's case, they can't, they can't be full people. And up until this point, you know, Ed and Al were pretty, were pretty strong, headstrong, strong-willed characters. I mean, yeah, Nina was like a heartbreaking, nightmarish thing, but they, they reacted to it as strong people do. And 
in the moment when they the show was really careful to make you feel the way Ed feels and as utterly defeated as that but generally speaking he's not a pretty super defeated person and the reason for that is probably because it, it probably at least partially if not intentionally but um maybe even subconsciously on the part of the original creator of the character nobody wants to see a disabled a disabled male character who's just a sad sack who's just like a real person getting through their lives who's a real person who struggles with like zipping a zipper and tying their shoes because that's there's like an inherent sadness there that doesn't come off as like delicate soft the delicate soft kind of sadness it comes off as like hardcore depression in the way that like it feels bad sometimes to watch the original Ava series that's not what they want that's not what people want to feel at least generally speaking and it gets even harder when it's a like a single character and it's not just like a whole thing torturing you so with Juzo they have he's like a really tough like tough guy detective noir main character exterior and that avoids it almost entirely although if you like I think I've put across pretty accurately here if you pause for more than a couple seconds on Judo's like existence you're like oh oh shit that's more than a human should have to take and on that note, I, um, this is where I'm going to end it because my thoughts are getting more and more jumbled. But um, if you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it in whatever podcast um, player you're using to listen to me right now. You can also um, go check out the podcast on YouTube where I literally I put the full video of every podcast on YouTube because I've got a whole new fancy recording setup. If you're curious about that, go check me out on YouTube. Um, but the podcast comes out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday is something like this. I talk about a show or a movie and Sunday is more metatextual. It's more fandom based, more industry based. Um, but until Sunday, I've been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I'll talk to you then.
Oh, no, no, no. 